Welcome to another episode of Study Hall with Eugene W. Grant. Study Hall with Eugene W. Grant permits our guests and our audience an opportunity to visit our virtual classroom to study and learn more about varying topics of interest to entrepreneurs and business leaders. So glad you could join us as we engage in an educational discussion with two amazing guests we have with us today. You will be inspired and enlightened by the information shared by these great entrepreneurs. On today's show, we are happy to have Mr. Michael Montgomery and Mrs. Angelina Watkins. Michael I. Montgomery is the owner and clinical director of Empower Counseling Services in Akron, Ohio. He previously owned Transitions Counseling Services in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Michael is a licensed independent marriage and family therapist with supervision distinction. Michael has over 20 years conducting diagnostic assessments, treatment planning, and conducting therapeutic sessions with individuals, couples, and families. Michael is a motivational speaker and is preparing to launch his very own podcast entitled Healing the Village. Michael received his bachelor's degree from Metropolitan State University and his master's degree from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. We are also happy to have Mrs. Angelina Watkins. Angelina Watkins is a transformation coach who has 25 plus years of knowledge and experience in learning and development, team leadership, and personal development in the corporate sector. She is an alumni of Northern Kentucky University with a degree in organizational leadership. She is the founder of Becoming to Being, where she helps women rediscover themselves and unlock their power to create the life they desire with no limits in her signature Queen's Formation coaching program. She uses proven strategies and processes to help people map out a plan that sets them on a path to flourish in their being, become an emotional warrior, and live a life of mental peace. Welcome to the show. I am very excited for this evening's podcast. We welcome you to Study Hall with Eugene W. Grant, where learning never ends. We have two amazing guests, as you just heard me read their bios, and we want to get right in. Michael, thank you so much for being with us on the show. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Mayor Grant, thank you for having me, and it is a pleasure to be with my good friend, Angelina Watkins. Well, a little bit about myself. I am the youngest of nine children. I was born and raised in a small working class community outside of Tampa, Florida called Progress Village. Uh, And, you know, I actually began my entrepreneurial work with my brother, Caleb. We had a small lawn care service uh, during our teenage years. We used to cut grass and uh, we split the profits 50-50. And um, I'm going to tell my age here. We kept back 50 cents from both of us so we could buy a gallon of gas each week. So we can have enough gas to cut all the the lawns during the week. So I guess I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And look, there is a rose between two thorns here. We're so happy to have Angelina Watkins with us. Angelina, give us a little bit more information about yourself. Well, I just want to thank you for having me here. I just really appreciate this. Um, A little bit about me. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio with my husband and my children. 
and just come from a vast background of entrepreneurship. Um, I've been in the insurance industry for um, about maybe 10, 12 years now. Um, and I used to be into real estate investing. And so what a lot of people don't know about me is that I'm really into wealth building. And so that's why that's one of those things that I work with people on. We want to improve not just your love and your life, but I can help you improve your money as well. Well, I like that already. So let's get <laughs> let's start right there. You know, building wealth, obviously, that's very important, particularly in the African-American community. Tell us a little bit about the importance of building wealth for a family and generational wealth. Sure. Absolutely. It's it's so extremely important. A lot of times we are living paycheck to paycheck. And you just never know when that disaster is going to hit, right? And we need to be building wealth. We need to be having our uh, buying assets that are working for us. We're working too hard. You know, building wealth is about having assets that is going to pay your bills, that is going to take care of you so that you can have the freedom you want. You can have the time you want. And that's where entrepreneurship comes in. That's where being a business owner comes in and building that wealth. That money is making money for you. When whether you're awake, sleep, on vacation, right? That's what wealth wealth building is all about. And entrepreneurship offers you that ability to do so. So speaking about entrepreneurship, you are an entrepreneur yourself. So tell us how and what made you start your business. The funny thing is, I never intentionally set out to start a business. Um, it started with a, a book club. Me just getting some ladies together to read this self-help book that I had discovered. And, and we can, you know, do this together, go on this journey, be accountable to each other and uh, doing our personal development journey. And that book club turned into me doing what I naturally do, which is facilitating others grow. And so the book club went from me making a workbook for the book that we were reading to me creating my own book for the workbook. And that mm -hmm. just turned into teaching classes, to helping folks. And then finally, with so much, Angelina, you need to do a coaching program. Angelina, you need to be teaching classes. Angelina, you need to make some online courses. I finally got that epiphany of the, my purpose and where God had been directing me for the last seven, eight years to finally go ahead and take that leap, take that jump and start that business. Wow, congratulations, that's amazing. Michael, tell us how and what made you start your business? You know, it's interesting. Uh, first, uh, getting into mental health was something that I didn't, I didn't really know that I wanted to do it. I've always had people talking to me, as most therapists would say, you know, people always talk to me, told me their problems. But uh, in Minneapolis, I lived in a neighborhood, predominantly African-American, and this one particular particular uh, mother, she had trouble with her son and they would always be fighting and uh, he would come over, he would talk to me. And then this one particular time, they really had a, a really big fight and it spilled out into the streets. And I ran out there and I was telling them, you know, calm down, you know, listen, you know, you can't keep doing this. And in my head, I was like, my God, somebody really needs to help this family to learn how to communicate, to learn how to get, you know, to get along. And in that moment, I can hear the voice of God saying, why not you? Why not you? Why not you? Why don't you go in to school and do it? I went back to school and I started working for this company. And when I was working for this company, I ran across a young lady. We would meet weekly, all the therapists with the clinical director, and we would talk about cases. 
Well, this one particular time, this young lady, uh, a Caucasian lady, young, she was talking about this African-American family. And I mean, she was so disrespectful how she talked and the rolling of the eyes and like she didn't believe her story. And at that moment, I became so angry. I just pounded my fist on the table and I told the clinical director, you're just going to sit there and let her talk like this. You got to do something. Well, after the meeting, that clinical director called me in her office and the young lady was there and she began to chastise me and berate me in front of her. And the young lady had this smirk and this, you know, a disentitled position like, mm-hmm, you're getting in trouble. And at that moment, at that moment, I said, I'm opening up my own. I'm out. I'm out. So two weeks later, me and my little meager savings, I said, I'm doing this on my own. Because I said to myself, I ain't going to never, ever, ever let nobody talk to me like that. When I know what I'm doing, and I believe uh, one young lady said, when the table that you're sitting at is no longer respectful, get up from the table. I had to get up from the table. So that's how I got into it. Get up from the table. Wow. There were nine of you that sat at the table. Were there any or the your childhood and the experiences that you had? I had the honor of meeting and knowing your parents as well as Angelina as well, <laughs> uh, uh, her parents as well. Um, and so both of you come from amazing families, great stock, wonderful people, hardworking people, very morally centered did any of what you learned as a child help you, Michael, in being an entrepreneur? I mean, think about it. Your mom is managing, you know, nine children, right? And a household, and your father is working to sustain. That's entrepreneurialism, whether people wish to acknowledge it or not. Did you learn anything from your parents with that? Uh, yes, I did. And when I was thinking about that, uh, thank you for honoring my parents. I really appreciate that. They were wonderful parents, uh, left with some great examples. My pop was a very hardworking man and industrious man. He was great with his hands. He would build things. Uh, he had a garden. He would feed the community from his garden and he would barter. You know, if, if he gave you some oranges, some tangerines, you know, you would give him some of your, you know, some of your meats and this and that. So I learned how to, you know, work hard and then be able to give back. So I believe that was, you know, one of the things that helped me go into entrepreneurship because my my pop, he liked working alone. He liked doing things at his own pace. And he really didn't want no one kind of lord and mastering over him. So he had his own garden his own trees, and he did it at his own pace. And um, I believe when I look back on it, that was my first introduction to entrepreneurship, and I didn't even know it. So it was rolling around somewhere in my subconscious that came to my consciousness at the right moment. Wow, wow. Well, Angeline, I can't let Michael say something about his amazing parents without at least allowing you to say something uh, about yours. You know, I had the great pleasure of uh, meeting your father uh, and even learned a couple of things uh, from him and your amazing mother. Give some honor to them for a moment here. Thank you. I appreciate that because I did come, I believe, from some great parents that taught me some great things. 
Um, and, and one of the things that I can definitely say that they taught me in thinking about entrepreneurship is solving problems. People don't realize that when you are a problem solver, when you can go in and see what's going on, get to the root cause and come up with solutions, you know, that's what entrepreneurship is all about. Business is all about bringing a solution to the marketplace. What is the pain point of the clients? What is, what is their biggest struggle? And what is the solution to help them get over that, to help them overcome? And so that's all about problem solving in entrepreneurship and being a business owner is built on solving people's problems. And so I would say my father was big on problem solving. He was big, you know, in his industry when he worked for insurance and coming in and giving them the, a solution that saved the company millions. And so I would say, you know, that along with work ethics, you know, and being accountable and responsible for your work and who you are, just all kind of just shaped and molded me into entrepreneurship. So you spoke of your father helping to solve problems and entrepreneurship is solving problems. You are a transformation coach and you help women to get in position to win at love, life and money. <laughs> As an entrepreneur, what are your challenges in securing clients and how do you overcome those challenges? Sure. So I would say for me, um, as a transformation coach, my biggest challenge has been brand awareness, being, you mm -hmm. know, up and coming and new, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, just people are out there and they need my help. But do they know that I exist? Mm -hmm. Do they understand what I can do for them? So it's important to make sure that, you know, the brand is sending a clear and cohesive message to that target audience. But then the challenge is also who is your target audience? Who is it that I want to work with? Who is it that I really can help? You know, and so then determining who's that audience, where are they, what do they like, you know, what is that messaging to really reach them? And so for me, being a startup company, um, I know just enough about marketing and branding to be dangerous. But what I did was I hired um, a branding coach and, and, a, and a marketing coach to help me bring in their expertise to my business and my brand um, to help me build that brand awareness and that messaging. Wow, that is just incredible. Are you satisfied with the results of their consultancy? I am. I've learned so much because the funny thing is I went to them for branding and marketing, but I've learned so much more about running a business than just advertising yourself and putting your message out there. And so I would say absolutely the, they have delivered on value. I'm still working with them, of course, because to keep honing in on mm -hmm. that audience and honing in on that brand and getting my name out there as to what I can do. But I definitely appreciate all they've done for me so far. Mike, share with us some of your startup hurdles and how did you address them specifically? Because what you share with the audience, someone is probably going through the same thing and your words of wisdom certainly would be of help to them. Well, I would say first starting off, one of my biggest personal hurdles was myself. I suffered from imposter syndrome. You know, I wow. really, you know, struggled with, man, did wow. I really get this advanced degree? Am I really trying to launch out? You know, have people been just pushing me up because I'm funny, or I'm charismatic? So I struggled with that. And then I had to overcome my own belief system. 
when I grew up, where I grew up, I didn't know anybody that owned their business. We came from a very poor working class part of town. You know, you just went to the plant and you worked. But when I moved to Minneapolis, oh my God, I started meeting brothers and sisters that owned their own business. They were doing things. So uh, first was just getting over myself. And then what I had to learn is you can't share your vision with everybody because small-minded people will hate on you. They will tell you that doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you're trying to do that. So I had to learn how to separate myself from those that they're nice, you know, uh, good intention people, but they're not visionaries. So they're not going to understand, you know, how to get your business going. So I did to combat that. I had to do a lot of self-talk and positive affirmations. I would write things on my mirror on a little sticky and I would say, you can do this. You were born for this. God bless you for this. You are his son. He said, the gold is mine. The silver is mine. All you have to do is ask him. And I would put these little notes up and I would pray in that mirror every morning saying, God, give me the tools. Give me the tools. And then he would lead me to different things. So it was, you know, I didn't know anything about running a business. So the first thing I had to do was I had to become a resident of my local library. I went to my library and I got business books. I took out some DVDs. I went online, I studied, I studied. And then when I didn't know, I asked some of my colleagues and they said, well, you got to go on to the Secretary of State, the Minnesota Secretary of State. They had some men from SOAR and I can't remember what the acronym is, but those gentlemen there, they taught me, they took me under their wings and they encouraged me. You could do this, Michael. Michael, everybody struggles with launching out. And then I thought about a song, you know, that just says faith in him. You can do it. Have faith in God, my brother. He'll bring you out. All right. So just launching out on faith. So first step was getting over me. Second step was learning more about the business and being open to receive guidance to receive love and to receive constructive criticism and feedback that you're doing some things wrong. And I had to accept that, learn from it and grow. Wow, that's amazing. Angelina, let me ask you, in your work, do you find that people get in the way of themselves, of their success? Absolutely. Absolutely. That um, their ego, the attitude, their emotions, it determines whether or not you're going to be successful and how far you're going to go in your business. And, you know, the biggest reason most people are not successful is centered around how they see themselves. And so this kind of goes back to Michael when he says that, you know, um, seeing himself and not knowing that if he can really do this. You know, we have some people who want to be entrepreneurs. But they're so hard on themselves. They have these limiting beliefs that they can't do it. They're not good enough. Nobody's going to buy it from me. Nobody's going to listen to me. Then on the other end, you have those folks who are know-it-alls. And unlike Michael, Michael said, well, I don't know it all. So let me go to the library and let me read some things. Let me do some research. Let me reach out to some people. And then you have some folks who are, they know it all. I don't need any help. I don't want to pay for any help. Like earlier, I said, I want to, you know, I pay for a, a marketing coach and a branding coach. It's two different coaches, you know, and some people refuse to pay. They refuse to pay for the help. And then they wonder why they're not getting far or they don't want to take the feedback that someone's trying to give them. And that was almost me at one point. Ooh. It wasn't that Ooh. I knew it all, 
But mm-hmm. when I signed up for this coaching program, I had it in my mind, my vision of how I wanted this to be, how I wanted it to look, how I wanted it to go. And so when they're telling me, well, Angelina, do you want to do this? You know, you should do this. This will make it easier. And I'm, I'm like, well, I've already done this and I've already put this in place. And it was that unwillingness to listen um, to the expertise of someone else to take my brand and my, my business further. And so, you know, I had to sit back and think about what are they telling me? They are there. They are where I want to be. Why are you not listening? Right. And so I had to check myself and I had to go back and think about it and start implementing their blueprint. If I want to get to where they are, then I need to follow the blueprint. It's not for me to be questioning how they got there. They're telling me how they got there. They're telling me what to do. And so some people's egos and their attitudes and their they get in their feelings. You know, I had to change my logo. You know, my branding consultant came along and said that, you know, your logo is not corporate friendly. You know, we want something that's going to be universal across cultures. And right. you know, I'm thinking like, well, I done put this together. This was my baby. I visioned this. I, I hired someone to draw it out for me and all of this stuff. And I had to ask myself, do you want to stay where you are or do you want to grow? Do you want your business to be small? Or do you want it to last for a lifetime and be a legacy and be beneficial across generations? Are you going to listen to this man or not? And I changed my logo um, because I wanted my business to grow. So sometimes you just got to get out of your own way. There's a difference between confidence and cockiness, correct? There is. There is. (laughs) (laughs) So there are a lot of individuals who are very cocky. And they do think that they know it all. And you can't tell them because they may be talented in an area and they really might be good. But we all still need a little help along the way. Michael, in business, there are successes and there are also times of failure. We know that failure is not always final. How do you deal with failure? You know, I am and I've always been someone that have seen failure from a different lens. Being the youngest, you can't beat nobody in running. You can't beat nobody in fighting. You cannot wrestle them. You know, you're, you're just, you know, you're struggling. So you learn failure real quick. And actually, it becomes OK because it made me run faster. It made me lift weights. It made me study. So part of it is playing sports. When I used to play sports, you know, you learn about successes and failures. And, you know, I tell anybody, when you're winning, it gives you this false sense that you're doing everything right. Mm-hmm. But when you're not winning, it's an opportunity to learn what you're doing wrong. Now you're open to coaching. Now you're open to listening to those that can help you along the way. So failure for me is an opportunity to learn, to grow. I have embraced failure because I know in in business, I approach it like this. I'm not always going to get the results I desire. You know, I didn't get that building that I wanted. I didn't get the grant that I applied for. I didn't get this from the people that I wanted to, but I know how to deal with it next time. You know, I say to my clients in session, we celebrate victories and we learn from our failures. I've learned how to deal with failure, not in a negative way, but in a learning, 
growing in a way that, you know, keeps me from getting too low when things don't go my way. Failure is inevitable when you're trying to open up a business. Embrace it, learn from it, grow from it, and do not let it derail you. Because many people say, well, I failed at that. That means I can't do it right. No, you failed at that. That means you could do it better. Learn, go, and grow. Oh, love it. I love that. Angelina, I want let you to chime in on that because I'm quite certain that in your area, you deal with people who have failed at something and that they internalize the failure as that they are failure themselves. And it's actually not the same. Share with us some of your thoughts about individuals who go through a process where they may have failed at business or something that they have done, and now that has crushed them. How do we get them to pull themselves and bring those pieces back together again? Sure. So I actually can speak from experience um, because I did fail at business. I had a real estate company, a real estate investment company. And when the recession hit in 2008, it hit me. And my pride was not wanting to let go because I'm saying to myself, how am I going to teach people about wealth building and how to make money? And I'm losing my properties. And I had to have a wake up call. You know, Angeline, this is not even about you. You know, this is, this is a world thing that's going on here. And there's people that got more money than you that are losing, you know? And so that helped me put some things in perspective. And so I, had to, I made an exit plan, which is what a lot of people don't do. They're losing, they're, they're losing out and they, they're trying to hold on to whatever they can hold on to, not realizing the longer you hold on to it, the worse you make it. But I happen to have some good people around me who helped me create an exit strategy. But from that, I lost everything. I lost my home, my car, my business, um, my job at the time. And so it was, how do I look at this? How do I look at this and not see that I failed? Because I kept for the longest time thinking I failed. And I don't know, it was just an epiphany, a revelation that I received that, honey, you did not fail at this. And this, was, oh, this happened in 2008. And I just had this epiphany probably a couple of years ago that you did not fail in business because I failed and I gave up. I said, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. Again, like I said, two years ago, I wasn't trying to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't trying to do business (laughs) again. I had given up on that, thinking that this just wasn't for me, but I was looking at it all wrong and that it wasn't a failure. Honey, you created an exit plan and you had a a plan as to how you were going to get rid of each property and how you were going to take care of, get rid of this home and their car. They didn't just come repo everything. They didn't just come take it away from you. You had a plan with the, with the banks to say, this is what we're going to do. I'm giving you back this. This is what's going to happen. And so that's not failure. You know, that's not failure. And I learned from that. And those lessons that I learned from what happened back in 2008, I'm now able to look at that and not make those same mistakes again. Of course, this is a totally different type of business. But we have to stop looking at our failures as failures. They're lessons. And the only way we're going to be able to evolve and get to the next level in our, in our personal lives and in our business lives is to learn from the mistakes we make. We have to learn from those mistakes and we have to give God the opportunity to take bad and turn it into good. And that's what's happening for me now. And so how do you do that? It's kind of hard other than getting to know who you are. 
you know, really going through those steps of self-discovery to find out who you are and what you like and what you don't like. And just getting that epiphany that nothing is a failure. They're only lessons. There's something that came out of that that you were supposed to learn. There was something that came out of that that to build your character and to make you stronger. But we just get stuck in it and don't realize what those are. Wow, such words of wisdom. We are on Study Hall with Eugene W. Grant, where learning never ends. We have two amazing guests with us, Angelina Watkins, the president and owner of Becoming to Being, and Mr. Michael Montgomery, Empower Counseling Services. We're so honored to have them on our show today. Michael, for those persons looking to start a business in the mental health field, Tell us what are some of those most important steps they need to take before getting started. And also share with us some of the challenges they will face when they start. Well, you know, first it's rudimentary because it's multi-layered. There's a lot of things you have to consider. Mental health clinics, they can want to be a group. You want to be a solo practitioner. So you have to deal with that first. But I would say first, you must create a business plan. The first time I owned Transitions Council in Minneapolis, I didn't have a business plan. And we were doing great, but we plateaued because I didn't have a guide to say, what's the next step? So now that I open Empower Counseling here in Akron, Ohio, I have a phenomenal business plan. And so business plan first, and then you have to open up a business checking account at a reputable bank. You know, don't be don't be open up a bank account at XYZ because they they gave you a keychain. No, you better go to someone reputable. That's your money. And then complete an application for credentialing and apply for third party pairs. If you're going to go the insurance route, you have to be on their boards. You have to have a contract with them. You just can't see a client and say somebody need to reimburse me. No, you got to ask them people. Can you be on their boards? And then you have to understand the laws governing your practice. You have to really understand HIPAA. You have to understand your statutes under your board, under your license. You have to understand insurance, both liability for the work that you do. And if you're in a building, you have to have some liability insurance on your practice, on your physical spot. And then, you know, where do you want to be located? Location, location, location. If you want to work, with urban clients and you know what i'm talking about you can't have a business up on knob hill with no bus routes because let me tell you our people struggle with transportation so be wise you want to work with our people then you kind of got to be in the community or at least on a bus line you know and then angelina she spoke on this branding and marketing i can't stress that enough we can't be cheap on ourselves. You can't just come up with a stick figure for a logo. You know, you have to really pay a little bit of money to brand yourself, to market yourself, whether you're going to be on social media, subscribe to the site magazines for referrals. You're going to have to work on a referral, referral source. Uh, you got to talk to these people. You got to talk to community people. You got to talk to um, local 501c3s. You got to uh, talk to the schools. I work with the schools. I work with Akron Urban League. I work with Love Akron. Mm. I work with all these other places, and they all funneling referrals. In so much, like the good Lord says, he'll open up windows and pour you out a blessing. Half my people I refer out because we just don't have enough room to receive them. Now, mm. challenges. Personally, 
as a therapist, open up a business, you got to understand that you are everything. You're the therapist. You're the receptionist. You're the billing specialist. You're the payroll manager. You wear many hats. You're going to work long hours because the clients that you seek, they usually have jobs or they're in school. And, you know, jobs don't stop to about five. School gets out at 2.30, 3 o'clock. So you're going to be there from about four to seven. And you're going to have some morning clients, so they long hours. The biggest thing I had to learn was the word no. Because mm. if you're just starting out, you hungry, you scared, you want your business to thrive, you're going to say yes to everybody. Oh, yes, I can see clients from you, Summit County. Yes, I can see clients from you, City of Akron. Yes, I can see clients from you, Akron Public Schools. And that's they know they're sending you all these people, but you're hurting yourself because you can't see them. So learn how to say, no, I can't do it. And lastly, probably one of the biggest things, learn how to take care of yourself. Burnout is high because the need is great. And for your Washington, D.C. listeners, taking a trip to Grandma's house in Arlington, Virginia is not a vacation. You about to go to Atlantic City. You about to go to Ocean City or at least go to Virginia Beach. Unplug. Don't answer your phone. Tell them people when they have a crisis, call 911 or 1-800-COPE, and you'll deal with it when you get back on Monday. But you must learn how to take care of yourself. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. We're going to give this advice to all of our listeners around the world who's listening into this podcast. So thank you so very much on, on that advice. Angelina, we, we, we want you to chime in. I mean, yes. Michael gave us some good stuff there. Uh, but, but I know that you can contribute to this conversation. Absolutely. So I'm going to come from a different angle than Michael. Yeah. He kind of laid out all the technical business blueprints. But my thing would be in starting a business in, in mental health is knowing your limitations, your strengths mm. and your weaknesses. Oh. Um, and, and that's for any business to know. your any business. Your mm-hmm. But especially in the mental health field, because as Michael's talked, you, you have some long hours. You know, and you have to learn how to be able to say no. You have to be able to know what you can deal with and what you can't deal with. And see, for me, I'm, I'm a coach. Michael's a therapist. And although we both deal with mental health, we deal with them a little bit differently. And so you have to know that limitation of who I can serve. Again, who's my audience? Who is my audience? Who am I serving? Who can I help? Because when I'm dealing with emotional and mental health, there's certain things that I cannot do that Michael would do. And so I have to be able to recognize that and know my limitations, like I can't help you with that and be able to refer them over to a therapist. And it's not about one is better than the other. It's just about a style and what we can do and who our audience is. And we actually work together. I have clients now that they come to me for coaching and they still see a therapist. And so it's not about, well, you can only see a therapist. And if you see a therapist, the coach is not going to be useful or vice versa. We kind of, it's a working thing together, but as a coach, I have to know my limitations. And I have to be able to, as Michael said, I have to be able to say, no, I have to know this is what I'm strong in. This is the people that I can help that are dealing with this type of issue. And those dealing with these other issues, I'm gonna have to um, refer you over to a professional, a licensed professional, because I'm still a professional, (laughs) but I'm not a state licensed professional. Well, 
what is interesting is hearing this, but the question that I would ask is, Michael, for you, do you have a therapist? And Angelina, do you have a coach? Yes. Ah! Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I want to let yes. Michael answer because you said it first. But yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this because I remember our audience is listening and it's important that they understand because sometimes people think, you know, I'm a therapist and everybody else needs help but me. Well, wait a minute. People are draining you. People are pulling from you and you got to at some point in time replenish. But I don't want to steal nobody's thunder. This is about you all, not about me. So, Michael, we'll go with you first. And Angelina, you come right on in. The, the quick answer is yes, I do. I went through my own personal trauma. You know, life threw me a curveball that I just wasn't ready for. Uh, mm-hmm. Very traumatic. It broke me for a second. But uh, I kept the faith. I kept pushing. My therapist kept working with me. I struggled. And I want your listening audience to know that anxiety and depression and suicide ideation is real. Real. It's real. And all of that I just named, I've been through. Because when life throws you that curveball that you didn't even see coming, I'm telling you, you're not prepared for it. So, yes. Thank God for my therapist who walked walked right alongside of me, cried with me, handled me with kid gloves, and just, she's awesome. So I I really appreciate that. So yes, Michael Montgomery has a therapist. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because I know both of you and Angelina, and I would have never known that you had challenges like that, if you get what I'm saying. You know, every time I saw Angelina, she always had a big old smile on her face. So for from my perspective, life is grand. Life is good. You know what I'm saying? But we all have challenges that really people don't know anything about. We're carrying these bags that people don't know what's in the bags. They may think it's a bag full of money. And it could be a bag full of problems. We don't know. And so it's good to hear the therapist, the licensed therapist, say that I have a therapist too. All right, coach, take it away. So, yes, I had a therapist and a coach. (laughs) You know, so you see the smile you see on my face on social media is because I got some resources back there pushing me through and rooting me on and cheering me on and not letting me stop. You know, I, I lost my father last year and that was heartbreaking for me, right? I needed a therapist to kind of talk that through. There was a point in time where right before I really got into deciding that I was going to do this coaching program that I, I said, Who's going to coach to coach? Who's going to minister to me? Who's going to pour into me as I'm pouring out to others? And when when I spoke those words, when I tell you that God sent help, he sent some help. He saw that I couldn't do this alone. And that's what people have to understand. Whether it's personal or business, you can't do this alone. And so you've got to be open to the help. you got to be open to the resource. And so, and so, yes, I've gone through therapy. And I got a coach to keep me in check, to keep me in line, to keep me going, to keep me pushing. Because there's days where I just want to, you know, I'm like, okay, God, do you really want me to do this? Did you really choose the right person? Am I am I up for this? 
And it's like, absolutely you are. I have positioned you to be here. I have positioned you to be in this place. I have given you this assignment and you're more than capable. And I'm gonna send you the people to help make sure that you walk it out. And so, yes, I got a coach. I got a coach. <laughs> I love it. I love it. As we are moving and transitioning into the next question, that question that you just answered was for entrepreneurs. But this next question is just for the audience in general. Seeking psychological and therapeutic services and coaching services seems to be a negative stigma, particularly within the African-American community. The Anglo-Saxon community, they'll go to a therapist quick, fast, and in a hurry. They'll go to church, but they put their therapist a little bit above the priest. In the African-American community, it's the inverse. They'll put the pastor above the therapist. And while praying is good, faith without works is dead. And so why do you believe that in the case, and in this case, how and do we overcome this stigma in the African-American community? Angelina, we're going to start with you uh, on that, particularly on the coaching side. And then, Michael, we're going to bring you in. Well, wh- my thoughts on this um, as to why is this a stigma in our, in our community is that as African-Americans in general, our culture is about strength. Um, never let them see you cry. Never show that you're weak. We've seen it in the movies, in the roots when Kunta Kente was getting beat and Denzel Washington in glory. You can hit me, but you're not going to break me. You know, we can take this into the civil rights movement, right? Where we are walking and we are, tr- they were trained when they did those sit-ins that I don't care what they do to you. I don't care what they say to you. I don't care if they spit in your face. You are not going to show that they broke you, you know? And mm-hmm. then when we're walking, we're showing strength. And we're showing that you're not going to break us. And I just think that there's something that generationally we have continued to pass down that you have to show strength and not weakness. And to, to have a therapist or to have a coach is to show that you are weak. If you're strong, why do I need anyone? Even myself growing up, you know, I was taught never let them see you sweat, never let them see you cry. And then I'm unknowingly teaching that to my daughter, the same thing, not understanding that those words are translating into you don't need anybody. You can handle it on your own. It's, it's OK. You can't show emotion and it's not OK to feel anything. Right. And so that is kind of what we've taught, because that's what that translates to in being strong. And then it's what are we supposed to do with these emotions? Because I'm, I'm, I'm showing that I'm strong. I'm smiling on social media. Right. But I'm hurting. I'm hurting. My father passed away or I'm hurting because someone did this to me or I'm hurting because somebody said this to me. What am I supposed to do with those feelings? We're never taught how to process them. We're never taught how to address things and how to deal with them. And so the only way that we're going to be able to overcome this stigma is for people like myself, Michael and others being that face to say, it's okay. We hurt and look where we are. We've gotten help and look where we are. We just got to keep putting that out there and being that voice and being that face and showing them how they can process their emotions. And that crying doesn't mean that you're weak, you know. Mm. That is so profound. Thank you, Michael. You know, Mayor Grant, uh, you stole my thunder. So (laughs) thank you for stealing my thunder. 
But I was going straight <laughs> to the black churches. You know, right on. Yeah, we are. Uh, but I'm gonna tread lightly. <laughs> you know, we do some work with the uh, African American pastors here in Akron, Ohio, and thank mm. God that they are getting it. Because you know, you hit it the nail on the head. Not only do we see pastors as above therapists, pastors see pastors as above reproach. Come to me for everything. Back in the day, you would go to your pastor and you would ask them. Should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? <laughs> he don't know. He ain't no financial consultant, but in our community, he was everything. And no disrespect to the young ladies, you know, he or she was everything. Now, there was a stigma. And let me tell you what that stigma was. Something wrong with you, boy. You ain't been to church in a while. You ain't mm. praying enough. Have you been paying your tithes? You Ooh. ain't been to church since Easter, and you wondering why something wrong with you? Mm-hmm. That's the devil. Well, I'm here to tell you the devil is a lie. That's Ooh. mental health. Mental health don't care if you love God, hate God, worship God, or curse God. Mental health is going to hit you sooner or later. Or later. Because it's real. And we all go through something. And, and something I tell the pastors here, I say, isn't there a scripture that say, man, that's born of a woman is of a few days and, and full. full of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle all that trouble in your congregation of two or three hundred. Come on. <laughs> you know, and, and and you can't do weekly, you know, sessions with this with Sister Betty and Brother Toad. You drive yourself crazy. So we need professionals to come in. It would be great if the professionals had some of the same spiritual background, but even if they don't, they are a neutral party. And my question to you would be, what would be their game to talk to you and to steer you in the wrong direction? All a true therapists wanna do is help you in your healing. That's it. So mm -hmm. I pray that our community continues to grow and continue to lean upon mental health because it's real. We're losing too many in our community because suicide, suicide ideation is still seen as the mark of the beast. No, that's just called life. That's all. Now, Michael, I have to piggyback on what you said. And you said in the past, I have to let you know, I think that's still going on now today. I mean, we still got people who want to go to the pastor and they want the pastor to solve all of their problems. They want the pastor to tell them where they should move, what house they should buy, what jobs they should take. You know, we still have that going on. And, and so they see the pastor as their everything. And, and the reality is the pastor can't be your everything. And not all pastors have the, the training and the capacity and the know-how to provide therapy and the coaching that some of their parishioners need. Um, and so I, I do see things changing in the black churches now, some pastors as like the ones you're working with, they're starting to see that I can't do this. I'm not set up for this. Let me bring some folks in to get my people some help because they keep coming in here every Sunday sitting in these pews and I'm preaching, but they ain't getting it. Something's not translating and they're starting to realize that we, it's more than me just preaching a sermon. These folks need some mental transformation in their mind 
And so they're they're bringing in the experts. You know, in my church, I came in and I taught classes on um, being emotionally healthy. And so they're starting to see that. And I think that's going to be another way. Again, we've got to keep sending the message wherever we can go to speak, wherever we can go to teach, whenever we can have a workshop, just being that voice, sending that message and being that face to say help is here and it's okay. Well, if I could just say one more thing, you know, having been through depression and let me tell you, when you're going through depression, I would tell you you know, get out, at least get some vitamin D, you know, that'll, you know, bring it up a little bit. And then you could be able to do other things. When you're really depressed, I was curled up in a ball in my bed. Mm. Now, when I'm curled up in a ball, the last place I'm trying to get to is church. Now, <laughs> my attendance done waned a little bit. Now, I might get preached on that I'm a backslider. Yeah. Now you're just adding on to my depression. Not only can I not tell you I'm suffering, but if I do, you're going to beat me up and say I'm a backslider. I didn't read the Bible enough. Well, how many how many times have you prayed? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you someone right now when I'm depressed. I didn't care about no praying. I was just wanting the pain to go away. You know, just take this pain away. And let me tell you, honestly, taking the pain away meant taking this whole life away because it could all be over. It's real. And when I say that to pastors, they're understanding it more and more. And I, I'm just so grateful that they're open now to receive it. And I pray others mm. would do the same. Yeah. That others will become more trauma informed to be able to recognize the signs and the symptoms of what they think is sinning <laughs> is not sinning. These people are going through some things. And so we just need them to be more informed about what it looks like to be emotionally unhealthy. What does it look like to have dealt with trauma that was swept under the rug and, and not addressed and you have not healed from it? Mayor Grant, I'm sorry. I have to say this. Uh, Angelina, <laughs> you don't woke me up. I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> now let's be real. Uh, Mayor Grant, your show's real, right? Certainly is. Some of our hurt come from the church. Absolutely. And you're going to send me back to that same place for healing? <laughs> that, that's tough. It, it is. And, and, but some will tell you church healed me. Church hurt me, but church healed me. But um, you can't get healing in the same place that hurt you. So you might have to go somewhere else. Again, you're going to have to get that therapist. This has been an incredible show. I really want to thank our guest, Mr. Michael Montgomery, owner of Empower Counseling Services, and Mrs. Angelina Watkins, founder of Becoming to Being, for sharing portions of their story. To follow and learn more about their businesses and stories, visit eugenewgrant.com and click on podcast to find links to our guest social media sites. Thank you for listening. Study Hall with Eugene W. Grant is brought to you by Stratagem Consortium, LLC. Presented and produced by Eugene W. Grant. The engineer is Lawrence Evans. The podcast is distributed by Sharon Lippert. Original music by Andros Music. And graphics by Manifest Lifestyle Studios, LLC. Thank you for listening. And tune in on the 20th of each month for more conversations on Study Hall with Eugene W. Grant.